Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome to Money and Me. Investors, markets in Singapore are open again today to great news. Smaller than expected contraction in Singapore's GDP for the first quarter. We're all looking forward to that fourth coronavirus stimulus package set to be announced later this afternoon. Fortitude. Are things looking up? Well, let's get a sense of the economic reality surrounding us all. Jacob Du joining me now. He is CIO of Envision Wealth Management. Jacob, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for helping me again. Jacob, the Dow has risen more than 30% since its low on March 23rd at 18,592. The STI has risen 12% over the same period. So first up, help us understand why the Dow is performing better than Singapore stocks. Well, the primary difference is in terms of the policy measures that was adopted by both governments. Now, for Singapore government, it has actually taken a very cautious and calibrated approach to the pandemic. It actually did not pull in the entire policy tools uh, from the start. It had to seize the situation and then adapt accordingly. Mm-hmm. As for the U.S., um, from the start, the moment first it was slow to react, and then the moment it reacted, it started throwing every tool available to them at the markets. So what it did was that, you know, besides being the buyer of last resort for the risky assets, it actually pumped a massive liquidity injection into the markets. And that's what the primary reason why it's driven equity markets up so much to current levels. And if you could see exactly what happened in the U.S., U.S. market itself, um, what you see is that a lot of retail investors have actually pumped into the market rather than the hedge fund managers. Rather, the hedge fund managers were the guys who actually covered their shorts um, from this and uh, from the initial stage back in March. So you see the current levels that the market is, U.S. probably would be around hovering around these levels. It's going to be difficult for them to drive further forward, and the single market will just follow suit. Interesting. Um, given this economic reality, what are the strategies that family offices are using to position their portfolios? For example, what are you advising your clients? Last time we talked, I believe that, that was in March, you talked about pharma, tech, consumer sectors that were in your focus, including Microsoft and Walmart. What about now? Well, now we're actually more interested in um, tech space still, but within the tech space, we're particularly more interested in the 5G sector. Um, companies that actually have advantage or rather the first movers on the 5G technology, that is the main focus that we have because you can see exactly what's happening right now from this pandemic. Essentially, it has made a lot of companies to relook at the business model, at how they're doing business and how they're communicating from working from home, from telemedicine, telemedical services, the service provided, um, from, you know, shopping online and things like that. So the the space within you know, the requirement within the technology space is going to be huge. The demand is going to be huge. That said, the demand for the physical space and even for the um, basically anything to do with the products that's going to be offered in the retail space or whether it's going to be companies who need office buildings, that demand is going to shrink tremendously. So that's not what we're going to focus. And the other sector we would like is actually on the food supply because as you can see, the, the food supply chain has been you know, greatly disrupted. And then the disruption to consumers is tremendous as well. 
you can see long lines of queues in everywhere in most countries and um it's not like you know there's no it's not a problem of whether the food producers are able to produce the amount of food for the consumers it's the middleman the supply chain that's causing the disruption that's not is not able to bring the food from the producers to the consumers mm. and that in itself will give autonomy sources and competition weaken and the last thing we're looking at is actually on the ESG space because that's primarily driven by the millennials. Given again the pandemic itself, we can see that the environmental um, advantage um, that's happening—you see less carbon emission, healthier, you know, air quality, and things like that. So the demand for such responsibilities is going to be increasing. And among the family officers themselves, everyone now is looking for such responsibilities whenever, you know, as part of the decision-making before they invest in the company. Indeed, indeed. I want to just pick up on a couple of points you mentioned. So in the 5G space, Jacob, is it fair to say you're looking more at the hardware and infrastructure side of things versus software? Um, for now, yes, because, you see, you need the hardware to begin with. Mm. The issue that you have right now is that the primary person or the primary company that is um, dominating this whole uh, industry is actually Huawei. The fact is that it's undergoing a lot of political pressure from the U.S. Um, it's getting a lot of restriction and the market access that they have is increasingly diminishing. And that itself is not going to bode very well for the company. If you look at exactly how things are going to pan out going forward, within, I will expect additional tariffs. I will expect additional measures that will prevent Huawei to achieve its goal. Mm. All right, we're going to touch on Huawei closer in just a little bit. But before we leave the advice that you're giving out to clients, back in March, I think you were talking about increasing cash allocation. Where do you stand on that now? Well, our cash allocation now has actually decreased from 10% to 5% now. So it's more invested towards the uh, the various sectors that I was telling you about. Mm. And on top of that, within the food supply chain, we're actually looking at some of the private equity space that actually offers uh, pretty fantastic alternatives. And because they have shown to us that there's uh, great growth potential. Um, the thing is that is because it's not available to retail uh, investors generally because there's a lot of discussion and there's a lot of, um, I would say, confidential information is being uh, shared and it's going to be difficult for a retail investor to participate. But for, for the former family offices, we do have the access because then we will have to analyze things very I mean, much more detail and um, there's a certain commitment to it. Yeah. And when it comes to the food delivery chains you were talking about, are you then, because the middleman seems to be, um, you know, the kink in the chain, so to speak, are you looking at logistics and deliveries as an area um, of focus? Well, that's one part. The other thing is that you need not necessarily have to be just the logistic firms themselves. Um, say, for example, the tie-ups that the food producer may have with the chains like Burger King, with, with uh, McDonald's, with um, you know the grocery stores, or even with the supermarket chains, that will bring in the direct access because then it will be easier for them to bring this food across. Uh, rather than the ones that it's like, um, you know, I will produce and I have to... Uh, Say you know, ship it out to somewhere in China where you have got you're subjected to political problems, or you know you are sending it to certain factories where you have got you know middlemen who need to process those meat. But because of the fact that the workers themselves are in fact uh, are affected by the COVID nineteen, um, the workers are not working at all, and they are not you know they have not invested enough in technology to mechanize the entire process. 
and that itself creates the problems. So much focus now on U.S.-China trade tensions that have taken a turn for frostier over the last two months, uh, particularly over the weekend over in Hong Kong, uh, where we saw protests spilling over to the streets. I wonder, how are you factoring in worsening China-U.S. trade tensions in your investment strategies, Jacob? Well, we started differentiating the companies and analysis when the decoupling signs first emerged. Um, one cannot adopt the traditional model of just looking at the company fundamentals anymore. I mean, there's a political disruption that play currently, and it's not going to be short-term. Whatever that's happening right now is going to be long-term. And the effect itself is not restricted to just um, specific sectors, specific companies per se. It's we are looking at the bigger political game at play. Right mm. now, the decoupling involves additional tariffs. There's going to be supply chain diversification, forcing every company now to really look exactly how they can, you know, do business in a different way. And the, even the currency decoupling, uh, decoupling, decoupling right now. So the thing is that China is not going to, you know, as much as possible, will not want to be beholden to U.S. in terms of the U.S. holdings that they have right now. And also, they do want to want, uh, they want to reduce rather the reduction of the um, manipulation of the reserves by the other party. So we look for companies that are able to navigate through this maze despite the political rhetoric. So a good example, I would say, is that, for example, Qualcomm. Right now, they are still able to do business with the Chinese side, even despite exactly what the U.S. is saying. So there's a lot of political talk. But at this point in time, there's no concrete action that's being taken on the ground itself. So the other thing we are looking at is for companies within Singapore and Southeast Asia that may benefit for this eventual fallout. Mm. And I do not think you know, that you know, we'll ever see this normality that we've seen five years ago. Indeed. Speaking of, you know, companies in Singapore, ST and Engineering seen as a mature blue chip stock, seen as diversified in terms of revenue streams uh, with streams across aerospace, electronic, land systems, marine, uh, with geographical spread as well. 70% of its revenue from Asia, 18% from US, Europe, 8%. What is your take on ST Engineering, the company? Does it fall into the category of stocks, you know, buffered to the effect somewhat of a US-China trade war? Well, as you mentioned earlier, you know, if we break down the businesses that uh, within ST Engineering, um, I would say that the aerospace, marine, and electronics uh, businesses will be affected regardless of whether there's a trade war or not. Because it's a global problem. It's not a specific, you know, political problem. Mm-hmm. So demand for, you know, engines for, you know, travel-wise, it's going to be, uh, we, we won't see the light of day until perhaps next year. So even for the marine sector, as it is right now, with the oil prices at this level, even in, in most of the, the, the trade is not really functioning, it's going to be a huge um, uphill task to see business coming back to pre-crisis levels again. Even for the electronic sector, even if you look at Singapore, you know, non-domestic, uh, non-oil domestic ex- exports itself, the main driving force is actually the pharmaceutical sector. It's not even the electronic side mainly. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it, there's still some time for it to get back to the original level. So, the, therefore, in terms of the impact from the China trade war, U.S.-China trade war, it's not huge in these businesses. But if you look at the smart nation initiatives that it has right now, primarily it has three segments. Within those three segments, it has a mobility, environment, and even the security segments. Now, if you look at the mobility and environment segment itself, it's not affected by the trade war. Currently, it has tie-ups with both U.S. and China, and it's involved in, in things like, say, your traffic, your, you know, the logistic issues with how um, communication is going to be done, um, how are 
um, consumers traveling, which means it's, it's a driverless vehicle and things like that. As for the security part, that's when the impact's going to hit them because they have got an agreement with China and U.S. is not to be participant in that area itself because there's a lot of mistrust going on. So I would say that in terms of the, the, the impact on the group performance, is going to be limited. I'm speaking with Jacob Dew. He's CIO of Envision Wealth Management joining us this morning in Money and Me. So I want to pick up on that point of tech, uh, you know, caught very much a big part of the US-China trade battle. So let's break it down for investors. In a head-to-head battle, Jacob, what is your analysis of Huawei versus Apple? If I'm going to strictly look at just the handset, the, uh, you know, the your mobile phone handsets um, area itself, um, Huawei is definitely at the disadvantage. It's primarily because it's a political game right now, right? So the thing is, US have actually prevented them from using their operating system. So that in itself, the Android operating system is no longer available. It reduces its market share in Europe and primarily in US. They can, it's only restricted to use the handset within the China market, and that itself would diminish Huawei's uh, dominance in the handset space. But if you look at the broader business of Huawei, it's primarily not really a um, mobile communication device manufacturer. Its primary revenue comes from the network and telecommunication solutions provision. So, and its dominance within 5G space. So within that itself, it's, um, the competition is going to be very different um, between Apple and Huawei. So on that angle, at least it has some, scored some political point because you can see, it, I would say, the major markets within Europe are still open to use Huawei technology on 5G. But for certain countries in Europe and in Australia, they do not want to use 5G, um, Huawei's equipment at all. Mm. U.S. definitely will not be using Huawei equipment. But otherwise, the closest competitor to Huawei's technology will be the likes of Nokia and Ericsson. Now, having said that, if you look at exactly how things are going to pan out for Huawei, they're going to have a, you know, a political uncertainty because then they will be used primarily as an example for U.S. to, you know, to hit back at China. Right. And that itself is not going to be good for everyone because why? At, at this point in time, Huawei's technology is at the forefront of things and the cheapest around. So it's going to be difficult for the European counterparts to compete on the front. Indeed, indeed. Even as economies open up and still on this tech team, investors are looking at the future economy and digital economy sector targets. We see many tech companies benefiting from a migration to the digital economy. There is no global digital economy index, though. So what, Jacob, are your top sector targets? Well, within the top sector targets, again, uh, I would say that um, I would still prefer the 5G network itself within the tech sector and the communication side. But these are primarily the driving force right now in the new normal that we're going to see. There will be less physical traveling and also with um, you know, companies adapting to a new, um, less physical space and less stuff to begin with. I mean, as you can see, a couple of companies already announced they're going to be working from home for the rest of this year. And even for some of the bank sectors itself, where they say that going forward, they will have less banking stuff as well. So within the digital space, again, we also prefer those companies that actually will be able to provide the necessary communication equipment to even the, um, the pharmaceutical and even the, um, the medical sector. Because this primarily will be the ones going forward where now the advice and the analysis will be done um, at a faster pace and they need the speed to do it. 
they also need the ability for them to communicate with patients and having the safety, personal safety at the same time. And as the world ages, I would say that, you know, we want to look at make sure that the food supply chain will not be disrupted also. And even within the ESG space, um, we will prefer that companies within their entire process will really look exactly how and, and they are going to ensure the environmental um, I would say governance and the social responsibility are in place. All right, before we let you go, Jacob, even legends like Ray Dalio, um, Warren Buffett uh, are being very cautious at this time. What are some key investment lessons that you think we should keep in mind as we transition to opening economies, as we wonder if this is going to be sustainable, this new normal? Would you say there's never been a more important time than now to be careful about the shares that we buy? Well, I would say that... um you should not rely on a crisis in order to be very careful in looking at one's uh, stock portfolio itself. Um, that will be a bit late in terms of building the resilience in the portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, one should always consider before uh, buying a particular share, you know, you should actually do a lot of deep analysis on the company fundamentals and look at a broader picture to see exactly how are things going to affect exactly this company within the space that's operating. And at some stage, your client would definitely need to, you know, today you do not just buy the stock and just leave it in the portfolio and just let it be. Mm-hmm. You should have a constant re- uh, revision and constant monitoring of the particular stock within the portfolio and see whether it, does that make sense of three months, six months down the road. And then do I need to change or rebalance it again? And these are the decisions because without, you know, these measures, one, it's not able to build the resilience, and when a crisis hits, an investor will not be in a position to take advantage of opportunities that arise when a crisis comes. Mm. So don't be the sort of investor who very proudly crows about, um, you know, never having sold a stock, because I know many, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Now's not the time for that. Jacob, thank you for your insights as always. Thank you very much. He's Jacob Dew, CIO of Envision Wealth Management. 26 years of structured finance and multi-asset class investment experience navigating market cycles, helping us this morning in Money and Me. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.